Let us go to God in prayer before we hear His word. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that you give us the heart and the attitude as Samuel did. Speak, Lord, for your servant is hearing. And I pray that this is the attitude of our hearts today. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you're familiar with geometry, it's a mathematical subject under maths, okay? Um, now, the law of geometry, early we learned that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, okay? And that is true in geometry, okay? If you remember your maths, huh? Right at the very, in primary school perhaps, huh? But I'd like us to consider, is this how God works with our lives today? Is this how God works with our life today? That it is a straight line. Does God follow the law of geometry in guiding our lives? Now, I believe that our common experience is that God doesn't follow this law very well. That is to say that we find ourselves at point A and we are struggling with um, life decisions, problems, fears, and unknown, convinced that God will deliver us to point B. But very often than not, what we experience is not a straightforward line. And this process is often a jagged line. Sometimes we go in a big circle before we come to point B, where God delivers us. I don't know what you are struggling with today. Perhaps some of you are hoping for a career change and you ask God to deliver you from this mundane, desk-bound job to something exciting. But somehow God doesn't lead you to anything, any openings. Instead, you are probably traveling in circles in your career. Maybe you plan to go for further studies or you are in the process of making a life decision. But what is ahead of you is so much of unknown and obstacles. And you wonder, why doesn't God make it easy? Perhaps you are praying for someone or something for a long time. But then, God doesn't seem to answer that prayer. Perhaps you are of age now and waiting for a relationship that will lead to marriage. But God hasn't led someone to you at this point of your life. Maybe some of you are homemakers and you wonder if there's any purpose in that mundane task of washing and cleaning and then washing and cleaning, washing and cleaning, and then trying to meet the expectations of every family member. Is there any purpose in all this mundaneness of life? And in situations like this, we wish that God is more direct with us and bring us from point A to point B, straight away. Today, our passage shows us, and God wants to tell us, and God wants to show us how He works His will in your life and in my life. Yeah, and so these are the three things that we would notice from the passage. And number one is that God uses the unassuming, the time-consuming, the ordinary events of our daily lives to lead us to his purpose. And the second thing that we will learn is that in this journey, God also uses obstructions. 
to direct us to His will. And we will see from the passage why God chose to work this way. And the third thing, we can be very encouraged because God will provide the resources and the encouragement in this journey. But first, it's important that we take a look at Israel's history and the events that lead to our passage today. Now, a few generations before our passage, what's happening? God has delivered his people from an empire. And you know what is that empire? Leave Egypt, right? Okay. Now, ever since they entered into this promised land, the people of God is constantly taunted by their enemies. It used to be just Egypt. But now, there's the Moabites, the Edomites, the, the, the Ammonites, all the mites. But the biggest bully of all were the Philistines. And history tells us that the Philistines were an advanced society. Military, they were highly skilled, they had better quality weapons, and they were extending their control over the land of Canaan. And they are not only dominating the land and collecting taxes, they are also extending their boundaries to the overland roof and establishing military posts. Now, if you look at chapter 10, verse 5, uh, where Samuel told uh, Saul to go to this particular place, you notice that this, there was this such of a military post. So, the Philistine domination is very much felt by the people of God. They were a constant threat, always. And so the people of God has always looked to Samuel as their leader to deliver them. But then, Samuel was growing old. And we are told in the previous chapter that his sons cannot make it. They are corrupted. But instead of focusing on the Lord who has never failed to deliver them all these years, the people begin to pay attention to the world. And they look at their enemies and they see all these Philistines. Hey, look, military, they are powerful. They are prosperous. They are doing well. They got power, wealth, and superiority. And they concluded that we want to be like them. We want to be like the world. And so they thought, that having this new institution and a new king will bring them a kind of stability and prosperity. But they fail to realize, and like many people today, that who we really need is God in our lives and to trust Him. And so we enter our text with this historical background and this event. And then we see in chapter 8, at the last few verses, the Lord being gracious and merciful to Samuel, told Samuel, listen to them. Give them a king. And then Samuel said to the people of Israel, okay, all of you, go back to your town. So that's how chapter 8 ended. The people went back. But then the issue is still hanging in the air. You see, there's a national crisis here. The people are going to not to have a leader. The fate of a nation now hangs in the balance. Now, if you were the reader following this story, and you are the people then, the next question in your mind is, um, so what's going to happen next? How is Samuel going to find this king? 
And interesting, if you read the entire chapter in chapter nine, it is not about Samuel. It is not about any human beings, but it is about God. God is the one at work behind the life of this nation and His people. And so, let us examine clearly. Okay. So the first thing we learn is that God uses the ordinary, the mundane. To fulfill his purpose. Now, and we look at the few verses、uh, in chapter nine, verses one and two, and we are introduced immediately after this crisis. We are introduced to this person called Saul. And so, what we know about Saul? Saul is young and handsome. Okay, like many of the guys here. Okay, and he's just a little bit taller. Okay, well, by human judgment, Saul does look impressive. Physically, but then he doesn't seem to have a very impressive background. You see, we learn that Saul's father was a Benjamite. Now, if you are from the tribe of Benjamin, a Benjamite, that means you are from the smallest tribe in Israel. Now, not only that, if you look back at Judges, there are three chapters. Judges nineteen to twenty-one. You notice that this is a tribe with a very disgraceful history. Okay, I will not actually elaborate. You go back and read. And then in verse twenty-two, when Saul communicates with Samuel, Saul himself felt acknowledged that you know Samuel, I'm from the smallest tribe, and not only I'm from the smallest tribe, I am from the least of my clan. The clans of all the tribe in Benjamin, my clan is the least. So what we have here is probably a good-looking farmer's son, without much of a family background to boast about. Now, as we move on to verses three and five, we notice that the family were facing a day-to-day -day life issue. Now, what was that issue? Some donkeys belonging to Saul's father were lost. Okay, now in a farming community, then、uh, to lose some of your animals were part and puzzle of the ordinary course of events, rather mundane, nothing significant. So anyway, Kish tells his son, "Take one of your servants, go find the donkeys." And strangely, this donkey seems to run so fast, so any servant cannot find the donkeys, and so Saul is made travels in circles, in districts and towns. So in our context today, maybe he has travelled from Amokio to Topayo, maybe to come visit at、uh, Upper Serangoon. Now, if he had travelled for three days, he could probably end up in JB. That's the kind of travelling. And so by now, you would understand that Saul is getting anxious. Now he cannot find these donkeys, and probably very discouraged at the progress of his search. And then in verse five, he tells us that he was so concerned that his father was worried. He tells his servant, "Hey, look, I think we need to get back. Father is worried." Now I don't know about you, okay, but how do you feel reading this story about a farmer's son who has some Korean looks, maybe looking for lost donkeys? Rather boring, isn't it? I mean, as I was preparing this sermon. I was I was getting a little bit bored at first, you know. I wonder why is this part of God's word, you know? What what can we learn out of this? But if we examine closer to the text, you will notice how the plot develops.
and you will notice, hey, something strange is happening here. Let's look at a conversation between Saul and his servant. Okay, I'll read to you. Now, when they reached the district of Soup, Saul said to his servant, who was with him, Come, let's go back. Oh, my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, Hey, look, this town, there is a man of God. He's highly respected and everything he says come true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us the way to take. And Saul said to his servant, Well, if we go, what can we give to the man? The food in our sack is gone. We have no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered him again, Look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God so that he will tell us what way to take. Now, if you notice the entire of chapter 9, there's a lot of coincidence and surprises in this passage. Now, first of all, the, the search for the lost donkey had led them to this district called the district of Soup. Now, why is this, this district important? Now, this is the place where Ramah was, another town. And Ramah is where the place the prophet Samuel lives. Okay? And then if you look at verse 8, the servant says, Look, he found some silver. Now, in some translation, it interprets as, it is found, as though to say that the money just turned up miraculously. Now, come to think of it. 2.8 grams of silver don't just appear in our pocket for nothing, right? Do we go around walking and then say, hey, look, I got 2.8 grams of silver. And then we look down at verse 11, you see another coincidence. Saul and his companion met some girls drawing water, and then they asked, is the steward here? And verse 12 says, he is. Today he happened to be here. Oh, hurry. What a surprise. Samuel came back at the appropriate time. And later in the narrative, Saul met Samuel as though face to face at the precise timing. And this is the surprise of the surprise. There was a feast. And Saul was given the best seat in the feast, as though he is the guest of honor, as though the feast was actually meant for him. Of course, it's meant to worship God, but then Saul it was the guest of honor. And so something is going on here. If you look at what the biblical author is trying to tell us, it looks as though someone is pre-arranging all the circumstances and events that lead to Saul meeting Samuel. You know, it is, the timing is more precise than an NDP fly pass, you know, that this can happen. And then in verse 15 and 16, the biblical author finally tells us the mystery. And who is the one that is planning all this behind the scene? The day before Samuel Saul came, the Lord revealed this to Samuel. About this time, tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him as the leader of my people, Israel. What can we learn from here? I think the first thing we learn from here is that God uses the mundane and the ordinary life circumstances 
to work out His will for our lives. God uses the mundane and the ordinary circumstances to work out His will for your life. And you see that in this story, the ordinary day-to-day was leading Saul to Samuel. And it tells us that it is true the normal day-to-day living that we experience God working in our lives. Now, you probably heard of uh, Mother Teresa. Now, have you heard of Amy Carmichael? Maybe some of you have heard. Now, Amy Carmichael is a missionary from Ireland, and she served as a missionary in India for 55 years without going back. And her ministry involves was primarily to save young children from forced prostitution. And she would identify with the local Indians. She would wear a sari, travel long distance, walk on the mud and the dusty roads just to save one child from suffering. And uh, and she, her ministry and, she, and herself has been a blessing to many children in India. Thousands. But God called her through a very, very ordinary circumstances in life while she was going shopping with her mom. You see, there was one occasion at a very young age while shopping for new clothes with her mother, Amy was tested. You see, the tailor brought all the grand clothes and showed the family, the mother and Amy, you know, beautiful, the finest, But Amy sensed God's, the Holy Spirit's conviction. It was extravagant. It is an unpractical dress. And so she surprised her mom and the tailor. And she obeyed that small little voice that said, no. And that lesson became the foundation for Amy's life. Because that governs entire lifestyle, to live simply. And it's through incidents like this, the day-to-day mundane life, that God works His purpose in her. And it was just an ordinary shopping trip. Another thing that we learn here is about God's providential guidance. And this is basically the theology of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. You see, in Romans 8.23, it says that we know all things, that all things work together for good, for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. And this verse basically summarizes what Samuel is about, the theology behind it. And throughout this book, Samuel, you see how God works through ordinary lives of people. God works through a woman who prays for a child. And God brought a prophet and a judge to Israel. God worked through Saul here to lead him to to his purpose, that the people will have a leader to deliver them. And of course, yes, we know that later on, Saul will be rejected by God, but that doesn't prevent God from working His will in our lives. And we will see the same way as we see how this moves on in the life of David. From a shepherd boy, God made him 
a king. So for the people then, there were politically unstability. There's no, the, the nation was hanging. Everything seems to be in the chaos. But God is behind the ordinary mundaneness of our lives, of the life of the nation, using lost donkeys to prepare them, prepare him for a leader in Israel. Now, perhaps some of you, I don't know what's your situation in life today, perhaps some of you are going through a situation that you are worried about your job stability. Maybe you are an anxious parent just concerned for your child's future. Maybe there are many challenges that is ahead of you in your life, in your family, or in your career. The course of each of our lives is different, but it is the same God working in our lives. The God who loves you, the God who providentially provides for you. And this is the same God that works in Samuel. It is not fate or chance that works in our lives. It is God himself. And so if you are waiting for answers to your prayer, you can be assured that God has his perfect timing, just as how he made Saul meet Samuel. And he's the God of history. He's the God who controls space and time. He is the God of your life, my life, and He calls you and I to trust Him and not the circumstances around us. Okay, so we learned that God used the mundane and the ordinary to lead us to His will, and through such daily events, we experience God's providential guidance. Now, the second lesson we learned in this passage is that God uses obstructions to direct us to his will. Now, when you look at a picture, this is a picture of the route that uh, <clears throat> Saul takes to find uh, the donkeys. Now, if you notice where he starts, point A, okay, and then uh, where he finally met uh, Samuel at point B, and in between, he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, Shalisha, and then Salim, the district of Salim, the donkeys were not there. He went through the entire territory of Benjamin, not there. Finally, he ends up there. Now, what is the distance between point A to point B? Isn't it a straight line? Isn't it better to just go there straight than to walk one big round and then finally reach at point B? It's like, you know, you're, you're just walking, 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 and then after that, you're just back at square one. What's the entire purpose of this? It looks like a pointless waste of time, energy, and resources, isn't it? And Saul's obstruction also come in the form of a temptation. You see, he was tempted to give up. He told his wife, come on, let's go back. Why does God lead him in a big circle? Why doesn't God lead us in a straight line in our life journey? Well, the simple reason is this, that God uses your obstruction sometimes can come in the form of walking a big round. Sometimes it can come in the form of temptation. Many a times it comes in the form of trials. And God uses these obstructions because there's something in that straight line journey 
that will prevent us from reaching His will for us. There's something in that straight line journey that will prevent us from reaching His will for us. Now think about it. What if Saul's life was smooth sailing? What if he didn't lose anything? What if God answered his prayer, I'm, assume he, I'm assuming he prayed, that you know, uh, he will find the donkey immediately? What if Saul had been very productive, there were no delays in his journey, he didn't have to wait, and he managed to find the donkeys? What if this happens? Well, if this happens, he probably will not meet Samuel at the right time, at the right place. And God knows that if Saul were to take on that direct route, he would have missed his purpose for him. Let's look at verse 15 and 16 again. You see, what is God's purpose for Saul? Anointing leader over my people Israel, and he would deliver my people from the hands of the Philistines. I have looked upon my people, for their cries has reached me. You see, God's purpose for Saul is much, much larger than finding lost donkeys. That's the least of God's concern. In fact, God tells him, let's tell him the donkeys are fine, found. And God is using this entire process of the journey to lead him to Samuel. And for Samuel to anoint him as leader of his people. Now, every second Saturday of the month, it is something that uh, the leadership in my church have been starting for, I think, close to a year now. And every second Saturday of the month, we will gather together uh, to pray in one and a half hours. And one of the things that we do is to share our life map. Okay, what is a life map? A life map is basically a straight line, I mean a, a graph, you know, uh, that draws, that describes our life from the day we are born to the day we are now. So uh, the older you are, the longer your life map, right? So, um, and then in the life map, we share what are the, you will see different people, okay, at 13 years old, this is the lowest point in my life, at 17 years old, okay, this is a high point because I found a girlfriend, and then after that, it dropped all over again. And then you see the lives uh, through a, a graph, per se. And we notice that every one of us, the elders, deacons, pastors, have experienced different kinds of trials and disappointments, missed opportunities, being rejected. Some come from broken families. And then there's relationship that we struggle with, job, struggle, job struggles, some, I mean, failure in studies. These were the significant moments of our lives. And no leader's life is a straight line always going up or staying at the peak. At a certain point, it just drop and go, drop and go. And by this time of sharing, sometimes the person also shares that, you know, I do not know what's the purpose of going through this. But I think one thing we all can agree, that God was using those moments these obstacles and obstructions in our lives to refine our character and strengthen our faith. Uh, this is the <clears throat> my life map as I was sharing with the leaders. You simply there's ups and downs. Don't bother to read, huh? Okay. 
But I learned that, you know, looking back at my life and the obstruction that God has brought me through, I learned that the lowest pit of my life were actually the foundational years that God built convictions in me, that God used it to develop certain habits and character, that God built certain convictions that when I go to NS, I'm able to stand up to it. And um, certain values were formed, and some of these trials teach me to have compassion for people who may be going through the same thing. God was using those broken moments, those obstruction in my life journey to tell me very clearly to trust Him and not to trust my circumstances. Friends, the obstruction and the trials that we face, Paul faced in his journey, of course today our lives can be very different, but the purpose is this, that God uses all these to grow us in our faith, to grow us in our character. He has a purpose for it. And these difficult moments can be occasions that we experience God at the deepest level. Now perhaps you are disappointed maybe in your life today. You know, why didn't I get that promotion that I've been working so hard for? You know, why am I always experiencing failures and obstructions in my life, my relationship, all this brokenness? Well, I do not have the answers, but I believe, as we see in the passage, that God is a God who can use all this to work out His good purpose in your life. Okay, so firstly we see that God, in from this passage, that God used the mundane and the ordinary to fulfill His purpose. And it's through the day-to-day life issues that we experience His providence. And we also learn that we should not be surprised that in this journey that God brings us through, we will face obstructions. And we see that it's God's tool to guide us to His will, His intended purpose for us. And it could be much larger than what we can ever imagine. Now, of course, I'm not suggesting that God is the cause of every problem that we face. That's not what I'm saying. It's largely due with our human brokenness and fallenness. But what I'm saying is that God can use all this to work out His good for your life, for my life. Now, it's very natural that in this journey of uh, whatever you are facing, whatever situation, that you will be discouraged, you will be dismayed, uh, just as Saul probably had felt. But we observe from this passage that God drops pockets of encouragement for Saul to persist on in this journey. And so what kind of encouragement does God provide for Saul and for us today? Now, number one, we see in the conversation that Saul had with this servant. And it's quite interesting that it was a servant an unlikely companion that actually press him, that encourage him to press on. And today God has provided this faith community, brothers and sisters in Christ, to support and to encourage one another to press on in our journey. And those of us who know that if there's a brother or sister who is down and out, let's come in to encourage them. God may be using you to encourage this person. 
An unlikely companion reminds me of a church member. Uh, when her brother was critically ill, she was badly affected because she was so close uh, to this brother. And she's so worried day in, day out. And she has a non-Christian husband. And one day, her husband, a non-Christian, tell her this, you know, he says that, Hey, Kat, that's her name. You know, actually, God has already spoken to you in your word, in his word. Maybe you are not listening. And that statement kind of struck her. Because it helped her to recall, Hey, actually, God did speak to me in my morning devotion. So why am I so worried? An unlikely companion. Sometimes God works different, very unique ways. And later in chapter 10, God encouraged Saul through his word spoken by Samuel. And with the spoken word, if you look back, if you do go to chapter 10 next week, you see how God confirmed his word, his prophecy in Saul, through signs. As Saul continues to journey towards being the leader of Israel. God worked through his people. God worked through unlikely circumstances to encourage us. And more importantly, God worked through his word and probably signs to encourage you and I to press on in our faith with him. There was a particular incident where God spoke to me very personally in my life and it has always stayed with me. I'll just share with you now. Uh, it's more than 10 years ago, and this happened when I was in the lowest period of my life, very discouraged. I was a pastoral intern. And know that 10 years ago, probably when you are a pastoral intern, you are you're just given an allowance. And so you have to worry, you know, God, how am I going to um, survive? How am I going to have family? How am I going to do this? So I was very discouraged. And so during my off days, I like to go to Sambawang Park, huh? the beach. And there's one particular bench that I will always go there and sit down. And so I was thinking about this issue. And very interestingly, there was a little fish that was swimming at the shore. I thought it was very interesting. Why doesn't the fish go back at the sea? You know, and then the waves keep pushing it, uh, come to the beach. So I'm being kind-hearted, wants to help the fish go back to the sea. But each time I do that, the waves keep pushing back. And so I said, okay, I'll just leave it there too. You know, he wants to die. <laughs> and so I was staring blankly at this incident. And it was then the Lord reminded me of his word. Remember the passage about Jesus feeding the 5,000? Five loaves, two fishes. And he made a banquet out of it. And the Lord spoke to me at the very silent of my heart. Do you think I can't provide do you think I can't provide? The word of God and the sign of God encouraged me and it has been seven years uh, in ministry as a pastor and each time I am my lowest pain. You know, pastors, we face discouragement here and there. This is the incident the Lord reminded me again. And look at, looking back, it has been 10 years. Today the Lord has blessed me with a family and I, I'm uh, I'm struggling with three children, you know, running around. That's how the Lord works in our life. Now, I want to give us an application here. I want to encourage you to keep a journal. It's a very simple thing, an exercise book and a pen and your thoughts. 
And in this journal, record down your life events, your life circumstances as you face each day. It can be weekly, it can be daily. And end it off with a prayer to God. Whatever you're struggling with, just end it off with a prayer. And from time to time, maybe one year later, today is 8 July, maybe you look back at 8 July 2012, when you're in 2013, and look at the issue that you were struggling with and see how the Lord delivers you in that issue. He may not answer your prayer, but He's definitely shaping you. Maybe your character, maybe your view of that particular issue. I want to encourage you to do that and you see how the Lord works through the ordinariness, perhaps through the obstruction, and you see how He encourages you in your daily life. God works through the ordinary to fulfill His purpose in your life, in my life. And we see this not only in this passage, but also in the grand theme of Scripture. God used an ordinary woman to bring His Savior. God used stable, an ordinary stable, and that was the place his son was born. And God used an ordinary carpenter to raise up his son. And through our Lord Jesus Christ, God did something extraordinary, brought salvation to you and I. And so let us be encouraged that God will continue to lead our lives and fulfill His purpose for us in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. You, O Lord, our God, You are the one who leads us to Your good and good purpose for our lives. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You care and You love us in such tumult ways. Father, enable us, Lord, strengthen our faith that we will live according to your ways, not diverting from your plans for us, always trusting, always believing. And we pray that as we do this, may your good purpose in us unveil, may your Holy Spirit guide us in this journey of faith. What a privilege it is, Lord, to be called yours. In Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.